Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text that engages us for our sermon today is the epistle reading from 1 Timothy chapter 2 that was read just a moment ago. All-inclusive. Your room, your meals, your beverages will be covered. The location is pristine. The amenities are world-class, and the activities, they're endless. We have everything you need to have a great trip to fill-in-the-blank, all-inclusive resort. Jessica and I visited one of these a few years back, and to be fair, we had an amazing time. But when we got there, we found that their definition of all-inclusive well, it wasn't the same as ours. There was so much that was included. If you wanted to go kayaking or sailing or paddleboarding, that was included. But if you wanted to take a sunset cruise or go snorkeling or visit the spa, well, that was not included. And so what their brochure spelled out, but not quite so clearly, was that what they meant as all-inclusive was almost all-inclusive. But I guess that just doesn't have the same ring from a marketing perspective, does it? We find something of all-inclusive in our epistle reading for today as Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy in the port city of Ephesus. He starts out in verse 1 saying, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And no, Paul is not giving Timothy an itemized list of this is exactly the things that you must include in your prayer every time. Instead, Paul is reminding Timothy that these are the things that happen when followers of Christ go to their Heavenly Father in prayer. There's days when we're weighed down, when life is heavy, when there's struggles and pains in our life, and we lift up those supplications, those needs to Him, and we lay them at the foot of the cross. There's other days where we intercede for others. Maybe the pain is not in our own life, but we lift them up in prayer. Or maybe lift them up in prayer that the Holy Spirit would work faith in their hearts. And then on those days where the blessings that he has showered endlessly upon us are evident in our lives and we shout with thanksgiving to him, rejoicing in the blessings that he's given us. And other days, maybe all of the above find their way into our prayers as Christians. And so Paul is simply reminding him that Timothy, this is what happens when Christians pray. And by the way, Timothy, pray for all people. For all people. And if you look back at the original language, the word used here actually does mean all. It's all-inclusive, a wide net, pray for all people. And again, he's not telling Timothy that I need you to remember the name of each and every person in your city in prayer. Instead, he's reminding Timothy that there's no one you can choose consciously not to pray for. 
Timothy, whether you like them or not, whether they annoy you or they are your friend, you must pray for them. Pray for all people. And we can say at the end of verse 1 here where there's a comma, not a period, we do pretty good at that. In just a moment, we'll hear the prayers of the church, and there will be different names lifted up and different groups of people as, as we lift those prayers up to the Lord our God. And we do. But Paul doesn't stop there. As we move into verse 2, we read these words, For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Okay, King Charles III, got it. President Biden, all right. Governor Parsons, even Sam Page, I've got them all good. They're in my prayers. But I would argue that this landed with Timothy just a little bit different. You see, in Timothy's day, there was an emperor that ruled over the Romans by the name of Nero. And if you remember any of that Roman history, you'll remember that Nero was not known for being kind or even for being sane. Nero was an unusually cruel man who allegedly burned Rome and pinned it on the Christians. Not a kind man. Timothy, pray for him. Pray for this man that Tacitus, one of the early writers, wrote this. Consult your own records. There you will find that Nero was the first to let his imperial sword rage against this sect, Christianity, when it was just arising in Rome. We boast that such a man was the originator of our pruning, for anyone who knows him can understand that nothing would have been condemned by Nero unless it were supremely good. Even Nero a self-proclaimed enemy of God at war with God. Pray for him, Timothy. Timothy, in the port city of Ephesus, which was no provincial backwater, but possibly the largest city in Asia, the intersection of numerous trade routes and the home to the temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, not a place that the Roman Empire forgot about, a place that was clearly on their radar, a place that the cruelty of Nero could easily be felt if it was so desired by that emperor. But pray for him. And as you hear that, maybe as even I read that sometimes, okay, pray for his downfall. That's not what Paul's getting at here either. Our sinful inclination would be to say, okay, I can pray for that. Let's pray Nero right out of Rome. But pray for him, not against him. Those are the words that have been penned so that we can lead what kind of life? Peaceful and quiet, godly and dignified in every way. God has placed these governments in power here on the earth to bring about justice in the land. And when there's injustice, that hits home very hard for us. And we want to dive in and make it right. And that's okay. 
But that doesn't mean praying him out of power. Instead, it means praying that God would work through these people to bring about that justice. That maybe God would change their hearts. This is most certainly not a call to a culture war either. Paul is calling for Timothy to pray for all people. For kings, for rulers, people in authority not for culture. Oftentimes we can fall into that trap also as Christians, thinking that sometimes we need to just take that culture back for God. But Christ Jesus came to this earth to save sinners, to redeem us, not to redeem the culture, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the Revelation 21 stuff, the new heaven and the new earth, because when Christ comes back, these cultures will be gone and a new one will be here that is far more amazing than any we could ever dream up. And so this command by Paul to Timothy has to do with the mission of the church. And what is that mission, brothers and sisters in Christ? It is to take the gospel, the gospel that has been beautifully, beautifully preached into our own hearts and minds, and bring that to the world around us. As we gather here around word and sacrament, we hear the tremendous love that God had for us in Christ Jesus, that he would come down here and die for us, that his blood would cover all sins for all time. We've been called the faith. We know that promise. And it is our mission as the church to bring that to the world. Not to reclaim culture. Now that doesn't mean that as Christians we shouldn't be involved in culture. That doesn't mean that we hide out and separate ourselves from culture. It means that as we go out and we engage in mercy care, as we care for those that are less fortunate than us. We should do that. But as we do that, we keep our eyes fixed on the cross. Because all the mercy care in the world, in the absence of the gospel, is meaningless. And Paul even points out to Timothy, why we're to do this. He says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's that word again. All. All people. And as I hear that, it reminds me of Jesus' words, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. All people. Whether you like them or not, raise them up in prayer. That they might know the truth. And what is that truth? That there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Because of Christ Jesus, we have hope and a future. 
When we were dead in our sins, he died for us. In baptism, we're raised again as a new creation. And we get to share that with the world. We get to do that as we pray for the world. And keeping our eyes fixed on him, the all-inclusive that isn't always so all-inclusive in our world or even in our minds can maybe be a little bit more all-inclusive because Christ's blood atoned for the sins of all. His love covers all. His desire is for all to be saved. And on that last day, when we're all gathered at the wedding feast of the Lamb, the joy will be all-encompassing. And so as we go from here this week, as we step back out into our lives, wherever that takes us, when you pray and when I pray, when we pray this week, we pray for all people. Especially those that it's particularly hard to pray for because we know the mercy. We know the grace. We know the forgiveness that has been lavished on us by God. And so we need to pray that others might come to faith and to the knowledge of the truth and then at that wedding feast of the Lamb, well, then it would be bursting at the seams with all the believers in Christ Jesus. And what a beautiful day that will be. Amen. And now, may the peace that passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus life everlasting. Amen.